So Money episode 1225, How to Be a Feminist Dad with author Jordan Shapiro. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. The fact that your father uh, wanted to raise you to do anything you want actually says nothing about feminism. It just says that, you know, deep, deep love for his daughter. And many people have deep, deep love for their daughters. And that's not the same as having an active goal of dismantling larger systemic equality. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. We're talking about fatherhood today with my guest, Jordan Shapiro, who's the author of the new book, Father Figure, How to Be a Feminist Dad. As he writes, men today are struggling to understand what it means to be dad when cultural gender norms are being renegotiated. In the book, Jordan offers a norm-shattering perspective on fatherhood, family, and gender essentialism. It's an exploration of dad psychology, which challenges our familiar assumptions about the origins of so-called traditional parenting roles. And of course, we talk about money and breadwinning and providing in a family and how men and women need to rethink the relationship that they have with these things in order to be more feminist. Jordan is a globally celebrated American thought leader. He's senior fellow for the Joan Gantz Cooney Center at Sesame Workshop and non-resident fellow in the Center for Universal Education at the Brookings Institute. He's an international speaker and consultant. His previous book, The New Childhood, Raising Kids to Thrive in a Connected World, changed the cultural conversation about parenting and screen time. Here's Jordan Shapiro. Jordan Shapiro, author of Father Figure. Welcome to So Money. Thanks. I'm really excited to be having this conversation. Me as well. When I saw this latest book of yours hit social media, I was like, when can you come on the show? This is uh, <laughs> such a great topic and so timely. I mean, in some ways, we, we wish wish all of our fathers had had this book and their fathers, but better late than never. And, and this is not your first book, we should mention, but um, this is a book that is very personal to you and the subtitle of the book is How to Be a Feminist Dad, which is really what caught me, you know, this idea of applying feminist theory to fatherhood. Maybe we should start by just identifying, defining feminism. I was reading through the book, and that is one of the first things that you want to explain to the reader, because a lot of us come to this F word with our own perceptions. And especially if you're a guy, this may not be a very a welcoming word. Um, and, and so, so tell us what you mean by a feminist dad and feminism in this book. Yeah. I, um, well, I, I guess I'll start with a definition of feminism. And I think, you know, the, the definition I give in the book comes from bell hooks and I'll paraphrase it because I can't remember it word for word, but it's, it's, it's basically um, just that you're, you're committed to ending any kind of exploitation or oppression or subjugation that's based on gender or gender or gender stereotypes. And I, I use that definition because I like that it's 
um, you know, I like how simple it is. I like that it's not, um, uh, you know, I, I feel like it has a lot of room for us to acknowledge that that patriarchy is a problem for everyone. That this is, that makes feminism not just a a woman's problem. Um, and so that's why I use it. As to what's a feminist dad i mean the whole book is obviously about what that means so <laughs> it's going to be a challenge to do it in a sentence or two but if i had to i would just say um you know you, you a, a feminist dad puts um uh, gender equity and general inclusivity at the at, at at the center of their of their parenting practice and 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 as opposed to what many of us do um, or how we're raised to do it which is to sort of put either uh, or privilege or 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 the or or expected roles at the right. center of our parenting practice yeah. and that might sound crazy to people but if you think about this for a second a lot of men teach their sons whether they mean to consciously or not how to wield their male privilege right maybe for very in very ethical positive ways but it's still about how to wield your male privilege it's not about how, uh, uh, actively trying to dismantle uh, to, to dismantle systemic inequality mm -hmm. and I think like my father I would say for his generation he was very progressive and feminist in the sense that he raised me to believe that I could do anything that men can do. And I feel like I owe a lot to my father for instilling that mindset. Yet he was very traditional in that he was the breadwinner and very much associated his sense of self-worth from that. And so maybe talk a little bit about the progression, right? So we have heard a lot of like the importance of raising our daughters, for example, to to have this same belief system that we, the, the same way we raise our, our sons to raise our daughters, right? That there's no difference in what they can achieve and what their capacity for learning is. And yet, as a male in as a father figure, there's work to be done. It's still there. Like your feminism shouldn't only start and begin with your kids. Like it's, it's really about sort of an internal redialing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I take it. Um, well, well, first let, let me say, yeah. Um, you know, it, uh, it sounds like your father, uh, did, did the, the best possible job for the time and context in which he, he was, that's the same for my father. Um, I mean, as scary as it was to write a book that was sort of dismantling my own father's practice, I, I did realize by the end that I wasn't necessarily attacking him or, or deciding that he was bad. I was just acknowledging that while he might have done everything right in the historic context in which he raised me, it, it's not the same as what's right for the current moment in, in, in time. But what I do want to say to what you also said um, is... A lot of people do think that feminism, you know, being a feminist dad, when they see the title, they think, oh, this must be about how to father daughters or how to make sure you treat your parents equally. And 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 one of the things I like to point out is like the fact that your father uh, wanted to raise you to do anything you want actually says nothing about feminism. It just says that, you know, d uh, deep, deep love for his daughter. And many people <laughs> have deep, deep love for their daughters. And that's not the same as having an active goal of dismantling larger systemic equality. I'll use a great example of this, which I which I borrowed from a, a, a great thinker named Kate Mann, who wrote a book called Down Girl, The Logic of Misogyny, who points out that 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 Donald Trump uh, seems to want any everything in the world for Ivanka Trump and believes that Ivanka can do anything, probably but doesn't want to dismantle patriarchy, right? So, right. so, so the fact that you want all those things for your own daughter is not even an uh, evidence that you are interested in gender equality. It's just evidence that you think your, your offspring deserves a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
That is a really important distinction. Thanks for that reminder. (laughs) You write in the book that it's ironic that while the world is changing and we have so many progressive views, the family, the concept of family and what is a good family, a good father, a good mother, that we have a, a lot of resistance to change in that department. Can you talk about what's holding us back? Yeah, um, it's a great question. And it's, and it's something that's sort of at the core of, of my previous book, The New Childhood also, which is this, this, this question of where we are wedded to certain ideas about family values or about home life. Um, and, and what I do in, in both books, actually, in, in different ways, because they're, they're about different issues, is point out that the way that we think about what's the perfect home life, the perfect family values, what is sort of um, core um, essential notions of what it means to parent or to or to go through childhood or to grow up. These are not ancient, as you said, right? These are industrial age conventions, and 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 that's a core important point. And so I, I want to go into that for a, a little more detail, if you'll allow me the sure. time to do it, which is. The, the the family as we know it, what happened at the beginning of the industrial age, before the industrial age, most families lived together in a single compound of some sort, whether that was a house or a farm or some kind some kind of dwelling, right? Maybe it was a hut, right? And if you go way, way, way back, but you you lived in something together and you all worked together. You worked the family farm together. If you were one of the people wealthy enough to live in, in a city, you maybe you had a shop down downstairs, but you all came downstairs, worked the shop together, and then you all went back and ate together. The idea that we that, that like mom was home take, barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen while dad went to work doesn't exist until the industrial age. Nobody went to work until the industrial age. The idea of commuting didn't exist until the industrial age. Everybody worked until the industrial age, even the kids, as soon as they were old enough to like hold a hammer, they better start working, <laughs> right? School right. didn't exist until the way we think of it until the industrial mm-hmm. age. So, so, so this idea, what happened in the industrial age is we started to get factories and we started to get office buildings and we started to get the sort of cold mechanical um, workspace that we think of as like being harsh business, serious stoicism is that we split the world into home and work. And we also split it into this idea that work was this cold, uh, cold, intense place that was masculine, male, Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. home was this place that was soft, nest, nurturing, and female. And so even that idea of those being gendered characteristics doesn't start to exist until until the industrial age. And now we're still deeply, deeply, deeply stuck in that and stuck in those parenting roles. And so, so much of what I wanted to do with father figure was to go, well, if we've only had this for 200, give or take a few, 200 years, can't we just reinvent it to decide how it's going to work best for our current moment in time? Isn't that a better uh, thing for us to do rather rather than just kind of go, hey, we're going to keep pretending that this 200-year-old tradition is essential, like what it means to be human and like keep doing it? Because it might have served people at the beginning of the industrial age really well. I don't know. I wasn't there. I can't judge that. But I can judge that right now it's causing a lot more harm than good. Yeah. And I would even throw into that equation, like schools, the idea of like going to school from only, you know, nine to three and then, you know, the bells and the changing of the class. That is also very much like I I remember having a guest on that was like, that is the model of like the assembly line. And like, you know, like it's very industrial revolutionary, the structure of that. And we, we, we 
school needs to change. You know, we as a society evolves, like how we school and how we learn it, um, has yet to kind of keep up with that. So that's I mean, really in some ways school has actually done done. A, I mean, I, I've done a lot of work on education and it's done a lot better. Um, like like we like to like we still have a lot of things in terms of yeah. schooling that are that are stuck in. But there in, are alternatives at least now, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they've been changing a whole lot. Where the mm-hmm. idea of like mom is responsible for all childcare. And dad is responsible for everything that takes work, right? Um, yeah. Which I'm not saying childcare doesn't take work. I'm saying we call it not work. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that hasn't shifted. <laughs> you rightly bring up in the book in the beginning how, you know, as a society, we sometimes set dads up for failure. This, this Even if you are the individual human male who wants to be feminist, there is a lot of expectation of like how you should be and what determines a good father. And and you have a very personal story about this around being divorced and, and how society looks upon dads who are divorced. Can you talk a little bit about that? And while this so much of this book is dedicated to fathers, but like, what's your message for society at large? Like, we need to also change the mindset too, just at large, the media, even like Michelle Obama, I love her, but she has also said things that were disparaging about single dads and divorced dads in particular. So we have work to do in that area. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I love Michelle Obama too. And there, while I do have an example of a time where she, she made a comment about divorced dads in the book, I also want to say that like, I don't think she meant to disparage divorced dads. She was just evoking a familiar trope. Um, yeah. and, 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 you know, um, I'm sure, I'm sure if, if you asked her in person, she'd go, I have no problem with divorced dads. Right. But, but we all, we always have these tropes and these narratives. And, and I use that example, not so much to criticize her, but to point out how common those narratives they they are that even people who would have no desire to to disparage people would still still can't kind of help it because we're all we've all lived into it and i found it while doing my previous book you know i'm a parenting education child development expert and uh, and what i discovered was a lot of people don't uh, could not believe that I could know it was in the best interest of my uh, of my own children because I was divorced. And this is part of that same industrial age division between home and work. If you split up with your with, with your wife, they just assume you've decided to get rid of everything nurturing out of your life, right? Because nurture equals woman in our popular consciousness. So yeah, I couldn't possibly, you know, I, I wanted to eliminate nurture, I guess is what is is what is what they imagined. Um and and, and um and it's also been a challenge with it with this book, right? Because pe- the amount of people who say to me, "What's a feminist dad? How is that even possible?" Right? Which is just so crazy to me because I sort of imagine, like, if I had written a book called "How to Be an Entrepreneurial Dad," everyone would be like, "Oh yeah, I think I know what that means. No problem, right?" But you write feminist, suddenly they're confused. Like, how could you be <laughs> interested in gender equity and and parenting and be a father? Like, it, it's so crazy that we have these like giant. Um, boundaries in our brains about how to, about how two things can connect. And, and I, you know, it's since I came out with father figure and since I started talking so much about these things, I got to say, like I had heard for years from my partner, Amanda, and from so many women about like the mean girl phenomenon. I didn't get it, but since this book comes out, I suddenly get it because some of the nastiest, meanest, like right for the jugular comments that I have gotten come from the women as if like they Well, that I'm so glad you brought that up because I do feel like there's a maybe a a sequel to this book called, you know, How to Be a Feminist Mother. Uh, I was thinking how to be a chauvinist mother, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> no, it, we should not assume that 
<laughs> women have this figured out either, right? And that it, dad, dads are the ones that are still trying to figure out how to lead as father figures with a feminist approach to their own life and and therefore the way that they uh, modeled for their kids. And, you know, there are a lot of women that are very comfortable in patriarchy. They like the patriarchy. And, and, yeah. and so what are some of the, what, what have you heard from these mean girls? I'm curious. <laughs> well, I, I mean, just, just, you know, I can, it's usually pretty easy to ignore the comments that I get from men. They're sort of like the traditional uh, insults of, of, of male patriarchal bonding, right? You know, they make fun of my penis size or they, or they feminize me and they go, oh, you're, you know, you're not, you're not a, you're a mangina. That's How when cliche. I got. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And those are easy to just be like, all right, moron. And they just like ignore it. But some of the ones from women are just are just like I don't know they're just they're mean they're like they like they like hit hit you really um really deeply um um and and I'm learning to ignore them I just was not used to that <laughs> that level of, th- of 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 criticism um but I think but but you brought up a great point which is that the, uh, this book of course is not just for dads it's certainly written as if it's for dads but but the problem of um of sex sexism and um, misogyny and patriarchal gender roles in the family is something that impacts all of us and that we are all sort of stuck in. You know, you said some people are happy, are comfortable in patriarchy. I, you know, I think we're all pretty comfortable in patriarchy, whether we recognize that it's bad or not, whether we want to change it or not. The hard thing is that is that moving away from it requires all of us to rethink our identities on a, you know, we've all, whether we're men or women, whether we're feminists, we've constructed our identities atop a, a, a foundation of misogynistic, patriarchal, gendered, you know, also white supremacist uh, 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 thinking, right? Hetero, and I should say cis heteronormative thinking at the same time, all these things together piled on top to create how we start to imagine who we are. So anytime you're saying, hey, let's rethink it, you're not just saying, Hey, let's rethink a political structure or a family structure. You're also saying saying this requires a, a reconceptualization of, of an individual's identity and every individual's identity. And so that's really hard. That was a really hard thing for me while writing it. I think that's really hard for anyone who's going to try to read it. And I think that's hard what, regardless of who you are, whether you're, you're a man or a woman. And, and I just use a practical example. You know, a lot of women have been taught their ability to serve their husband not in the like slave serve way, because I think most of us don't imagine our lives that way, but to prioritize husband above, uh, you know, like, where do you live? Do you live where your husband's job is? Or do you live where where where, where the wife wants to live? Where do you live? You know, think of, there's so many things right. that we organize around that. And so many women have been taught to find their self-worth in terms of their ability to live into the mother role, um, which is, which is misogynistic in the way it's constructed, uh, that, that, that rethinking it means rethinking your own signifiers of self-worth. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, women, we have been the ones who've taken care of everybody else and ourselves last sometimes. And we're only now talking about self wellness and, you know, taking care of ourselves is like, it's like a very much a 21st century thing. Your book dives into four principles. You distilled the how of how to be a feminist dad into four principles. The first is 
having critical consciousness. You want to talk a little bit about what that means? Sure. That's a that's a term that I stole from the the the, the Brazilian uh, educator uh, Paulo Freire. I mean, I didn't steal it. I credit him in the <laughs> in the book with it. Um, <laughs> but it's about it's about recognizing how uh, how we are all. Um, um, I mean, similar to what I was just saying, so the, the way that we are all participating in systems that define the way we think about ourselves that, that, and that whether we like them or not, we, we participate them. He was using it. It's a little weird that I use this concept because he was using it very much to talk about the way oppressed people learn to internalize a kind of self-loathing and a self-devaluation and they need to overcome that in order to, to fight their oppression. And of course, the least oppressed people in our society are the fathers. So, so for me, so for me to do it that way is a little bit weird, but I, but, but I mean, I, the reason I did it was because I wanted to help men recognize the degree to which patriarch, which they are suffering under patriarchy too. And that mm-hmm. takes the critical consciousness to do that, not just to look at yourself, but you also want to teach your kids that kind of critical consciousness. It's a lot, Jordan. It's <laughs> a lot. And, and you even say, you know, that this is at first, it's going to hurt becoming a feminist dad. It's going to hurt, but then there's good at the end. So tell us about this this process. Like, what can we expect? What can the dads expect when they when they follow these steps? Like you say, at first it's going to hurt. So, but hopefully, it's it's got a nice reward at the end. I assume, yeah. 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 Well, you know, look, the, 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 the way that, that, that uh, patriarchal masculinity works in America, but also in, in, in a lot of other places, but, but I'll just de- deal with America right now. The way that it works is that men are all taught to aspire to some kind of like alphaness, right? Where we have this like idealized aspirational version of maleness where you're the king of the hill, you're stronger than all the men, you are the most attractive to all the women, you have your choice of women, you have fast cars, you have lots of toys, right? Right, right. And you get and you and maybe a jet and right, right. I mean, I don't have to go through it. We all know it, right? And of course, this is completely unattainable, right? This is an impossible goal for everyone. I know there's people who might be like, yeah, but I can think of this person and that. They don't even have it all because there's always someone to whom you have to answer. And the, at this model of, of masculinity is that everyone answers to you and you never answer to anyone. So every man in, the, in America and probably the world is failing at meeting their aspirational goal of being a man, right? And so, and they, this is, and so what they do in response to that, because they have this feeling of inferiority and this feeling of sort of failure, is they double down on how great they are, right? So I have a line in the book where I say, men mansplain where they can, because in most of their lives they can't, right? In most of their lives they have a boss, or they have, uh, or or they have a board of directors who are te- who who are telling them they they're not in charge, and so when they get home and they go, well. At least I'm in charge here. I'm going to prove I'm in charge here um, only to compensate for really deep feelings of inferiority. And so mm-hmm. to become a feminist dad, first, you got to like stomach those feelings of inferiority and go, hey, there are a lot of places where I'm failing. There are a lot of places where I'm not meeting the goals that I set for myself, where I'm not meeting the American idealized of masculinity. That hurts. Then you get to go, screw this American idea of masculinity, which is not doing anything except for selling fast cars and sports tickets and, and fancy clothes and <laughs> cologne. <Right. and laughs> I'd love to get your take on 
in terms of money and masculinity, what are some of the tropes and mindset belief systems that we need to dismantle, that men particularly need to dismantle? I wrote a whole book about you know being a female breadwinner, and it was dedicated to women. But of course, it's everybody's complexity to to manage. And and I would give men the advice of you know you need to not attach so much of your sense of ego and self-worth to your pay stub and your title, but that's hard, right? So how do you, how do you unwind from that? Yeah. Well, the, the reason that that's hard is, is actually because men are not taught other ways in which to express themselves, right? So they believe that they're, they're, they're supposed to one, as I was just talking about a minute a minute ago, right? You earn for status, you spend for status, and you demonstrate your values transactionally, right? Um, that's the, right. You go, you go, you know, I just read a study that, that shows men are actually more likely than women to, to choose their, to, to choose um, which companies to spend at based on how they, on the companies organize around equity, right? But that made, you know, uh, the, it was, the person who wrote this was shocked by it, but I wasn't shocked. They went, of course, men only know how to express their values transactionally. They haven't been taught how to communicate. They haven't been taught how to really express emotions to each other. They haven't been taught other positive ways of, of the gamut of human emotions to, ex to, to express themselves. And, and so they struggled to do anything but that. And so we often do see um, men who have really, really, really fantastic intentions, um, you know, especially super wealthy men starting these unbelievably philanthropic efforts because it's the only way they know to express the, to express uh, a desire for equality. So what I would say is, you know, a book like, like Father Figure is about helping men understand way more nuanced ways to express themselves, way, way more nuanced ways to find pride, way more nuanced ways to express gratitude to your family, way more nuanced ways um, to 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 expect to to express respect to more people around them. A lot of men think you express respect by paying people more, hmm. right? Which is great to pay people more. I'm not against that, but 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 there's a lot better ways to express gratitude and 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 respect than just money. Right. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with your children and how your efforts to be a feminist ad. I know you're the first to admit it's like not a linear path. There are going to be days when you're struggling and you go, your head hits the pillow at night and you instantly think about all your regrets. Uh, but, and yet, you know, you have this consciousness and that's really, really important. Share a little bit about how maybe you're seeing your modeling reflected in your kids. Yeah, I mean, well, the first thing I'll say is, um, you know, all my kids are teenagers now, and um, teenagers are really difficult uh, to parent. Um, and I don't think it gets any, you know, like there's, it doesn't get any easier no matter how you do it, <laughs> whether you do it as a feminist or not a feminist. <laughs> like it's got all the same, same challenges, I think. Um, fair, fair. And, okay. and I want to say that because I think that's an important point, right? It's not like this book is full of things that you're going to do and then see the impact tomorrow, right? My, my hope is not, hey, I'm trying to like create more peace at home, right? Like I'm always trying to create peace at home, of course. But when you have four teenagers in a mixed family, like I do, like, you know, there's a lot of not peace at home. There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of sibling rivalry. And there's a lot of tension between parents and step parents and step siblings and all those things. Um, and that's to be expected. That's a normal part of the human ex experience. The real goal here is that I and what I do see every day is that I'm raising kids who have 
really sophisticated and nuanced ways of thinking about social issues, right? They're capable of really reflecting in, in smart ways about race, about gender, about appropriation. I mean, when I was writing the book, one of my kids said to me, dad, isn't a man writing about feminism sort of like appropriation? And I was like, you know, that's, yeah, that's a fair question. And that's like, there's some truth to it. But more important than that, I'm clearly doing something right if you just asked me that question. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that is uh exactly right to even like have that conversation. Um, how many households are having that conversation? Going back to your own personal life as a single, not a single dad, but as a uh, divorced father, there are many divorced parents out there. Um, what do you want the message to be for them? Because I think they do carry a lot of guilt and perhaps they harbor some mixed emotions over their decision. You know, some people stay in bad marriages be simply because they want to project this this persona yeah. of being a good parent. Meanwhile, they're dying on the inside. So, <laughs> you know, can you maybe give some impart some advice, some wisdom for them? Yeah, I mean I mean all I would say is 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 one you you re we really need to understand the degree to which the um the the sort of I want to I don't want to use the word normative because people think it's like woke uh, woke <laughs> language. So the, the degree to which the normal I'll just say normal right? the degree <laughs> to which the the, the normal um, um, the the normal family as we might see on on television is. Um, a fiction. Um, there's a great mm -hmm. feminist historian named Stephanie Kuntz who wrote a book called The Way We Never Were about the fact that, you know, it's just a sort of a history of all the ideas about family values in America that were all this sort of nostalgia for a version of family that didn't actually exist ever. Um, and, and one of the examples she gives is just the idea of, we talked about it a minute ago, the bread, you know, the idea that mom stays home and dad's the breadwinner. Like there's only ever been one moment in all of human history when the majority of any community was able to be a single breadwinner household. And that was white families in 1950s America. There was no, there's never been another time. And, 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 it, and, and so it's never, yeah. So, so the idea that we, uh, we idolize this as a sort of aspiration is sort of crazy when it was just a tiny moment in time. So that's what I would first say to all the, all the divorced parents is that, is that you're, you know, you're really wedded to an idea of what's a perfect family that ne doesn't really exist anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. One and and two, I would say the science is really clear. I mean, I found this so much in so much of the research I did in Father Figure. Whether we're talking about gender, whether we're talking about sexuality, whether we're talking about you know tra trans parents, whether we're talking about single family parents, whether we're talking about polyamorous families, like it's really clear. None of those things have any direct impact on child well-being, right? If the child has a loving family, that makes the biggest difference. All those other things, there's no clear correlation that they are positive or negative or anything. And people have, of course, been doing this research for as long as we've been fighting for marriage equality. And they and, and so it's been pretty clearly documented now that, you know, it, you, there, there's no reason to think that, that you know, a family of two dads is or, a, or one dad is any worse than a family of a mom or, or a mom and a dad. Like all that matters is whether you do your job well. 
Well, you've done a great job with this book. And I have to say, you know, given that we just are emerging from a pandemic, not many silver linings there. But I think one of the things that we all experienced, witnessed, learned was just the fractures in childcare and caregiving in our country. Part of that was because we were so attached to gender roles, right? And mom being the caregiver and many women had to step back from the workforce to do that exclusively. This book is timely for that reason. What's great about the that bringing that up, they, they, you're like, you're doing such a great, because the, what I was talking about at the beginning of our, of our conversation about this separation between home and work, that industrial age separation between the, 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 the comfortable nest home and the, and the cold uh, male workplace, right? That is so strong in our subconscious that even when we were all stuck at home, all it did was create conflict. Like we couldn't figure out how do we make sense of right. it if we can't put it in two physic- separate physical spaces and it just caused total chaos. Like like that should m- m- put so many bells off in so many people's heads to go, how crazy is it that we're all so wedded to a narrative that we couldn't just figure out how to get along at home? Change the narrative, people. <laughs> Jordan Shapiro, thank you so much for this book and for all of your work, this conversation. I wish we had more time, but I want to encourage everybody to pick up Father Figure, How to Be a Feminist Dad. Adam Grant says it redefines what it means to be a good father. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much to Jordan for joining us. Learn more about his work and the book at jordanshapiro.org. And that's our Monday show. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope your day is so money.